Welcome to From. is a bi-monthly conversation held with some marvelous individuals coming from all around the world with one special thing in common, a connection to Sweden. What does belonging mean? How does one's identity evolve throughout time, places and people? Those are the questions we will explore together. I'm Marie and I'm Raphael and today we're speaking with Olga. Hi everyone. Hi Olga. Hello. Welcome to From. Thank you, thank you for having me here. Thank you for joining. Yeah. So, how would you introduce yourself to someone you just met? Oh, wow. That's, a, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Well, well, I would say that, uh, well, my name is Olga and I'm 38 years old. Oh my God, that's a hard one to say. But <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I come from Burundi, but I've lived so many years abroad that I, it's hard to say that I'm really from Burundi only um, when you've lived so many years abroad. Um, I think you kind of pick a few cultures along the way and <laughs> you become a person who's from, I guess, many different countries okay. or a citizen of the world. Yeah. So it's um, important for you to mention where you come from when you're talking to someone new? Yes, because um, I think it's really... Um, the first years of your life are the most important ones and they're the ones that really form you and they give you an identity and wherever you go, like I think after... If you move from your own country after you're 15 or 16 years old, then... Um, you're pretty much formed mm. and uh, that really defines your identity and uh, and it's something that you take wherever you go. You can add things, you can take away things, but your identity kind of remains. Oh, that's, I'm so happy you mentioned this idea of being formed at a young age mm. and that you picked this mm. uh, 15, 16 year old because... Mm. Um, we talked about this with many people and often they're a bit more uh, generous with time and they okay. mention maybe up to like 21, 22, mm-hmm. 23, uh, the idea that you're still malleable and, and uh, your perspectives and values can, can still uh, evolve a lot. So why, why would you say that 15, 16? Yeah, because that's around the age I moved from my own country. So that's why I would say that around that age, that's when uh, you really, you become a kind of a product of where you're coming from. Um, but then again, of course, you have your personality, right? Your personality that you kind of have since you are a child and then you grow up in a society that tells you this is what you allowed to do, this is what you're not allowed to do. But all these things, I think they really stick so, so much and it, they really define what is what you think go- is good or bad. 
um, the good thing when you move away from your own culture or from your own country is that you can then compare and you start to notice because you have a culture but it's not something that you know you have it's only when you are in contact with another culture then you start to realize aha they do this and we do this aha they think that and we think that so you start to kind of notice the patterns and like the the way uh, you differ from the other culture or the other cultures that you are in contact with um, but at that age I would say it's it's pretty much uh, how much uh, or when you are pretty <laughs> formatted into a culture yeah you have lived long enough in one context to have taken on many parameters or ways of thinking and perspectives and values maybe mm -hmm. to be able to compare also as you were saying because I guess when you move at a very young age I don't know let's say seven mm -hmm. of course you have integrated things from where you were living but mm -hmm. I guess it's very difficult to remember later on and then to compare mm -hmm. whereas you could do that since you moved during your teens yeah exactly exactly i mean you don't really put the word into it you know you don't really notice or you you don't know the theories behind this afterwards when you start reading about it then you start to understand but um but you see that it's different you see the way people talk how loud they are i remember when i arrived in cameroon <laughs> it was so uh, interesting because you could take uh there was two ways to use uh, a taxi Either you take a taxi and you are sitting alone, then it's going to be more expensive, or you take a taxi that is called taxi course, meaning that you're going to be sitting in a taxi with strangers that are going towards approximately the same direction. So I remember the first time I took one and I was sitting in the back and then came a woman in the middle. She had um, a paper, like a brownish paper. It was fish like grilled fish sorry and she was sitting next to me we were kind of with three people in the back and she was eating fish there and I was so shocked because in my culture you you didn't even eat outside you could only eat in you know at home and with uh, yeah with people at home it's really rude and especially in that context you know like you and fish of all the food that you could choose <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you notice those things, but you don't, you're like, ah, okay, it's different, it's really different, yeah. Um, so I have a little introduction note. Mm -hmm. One day between two study sessions, mm -hmm. you and I started talking about mm -hmm. the power of language to bind people and cultures together. Yes. Even though we come from different places, sharing a common language made me feel like we could relate to each other a lot. Languages represent a significant part of cultures, but at the same time, speaking the exact same language does not mean that people see the world through the exact same lens. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any thoughts on this? And uh, absolutely, absolutely. I've thought about that. Uh, yes, indeed, like you can have, uh, to speak the same language, You can we can understand the same kind of humor. You know, we talked about... Um, stand-up comedians. Mm -hmm. uh, there was this lady that you really like. Blanche Gardin. Blanche Gardin, <laughs> voilà. Um, Strongly and, recommend. <laughs> and I really love her also. I mean, uh, I can understand the sense of humor. and so. But like, 
depending on where you're coming from, the history of your country, uh, the experiences that you go through, all these things are going to make me understand certain things that you might not understand because you haven't been, you don't come from that country, you don't have the same context, you don't have the same history. don't have the same codes. No. But could you maybe tell us a bit about your experience when you arrived in France and how maybe this was for you to understand, speak the language, but, mm -hmm. you know, the culture is quite something else. Yeah, when I arrived in France, yeah, I could speak French, I could, um, I could connect with people, but there is something that was obviously different, you know, like to be uh, welcoming, for example. Like, I was in the south of France, you know, Nîmes. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Not far from home. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I was in Nîmes and uh, I remember making friends, you know, from the start when I was there. And uh, it was funny because I met. I remember I met this group of um, young people who were smokers as well. I was a smoker at that time. And we connected. But then I realized very quickly that we were not from the same... Uh, background, even though I had no problem communicating with them or being understanding each other, but I realized that uh, the, um, we were not coming from the same social economical uh, background because they had more means than I than I had. So I, because I started eating at the canteen and they were eating outside every day, so it was kind of a bit different. But then the other part that I noticed was like. Yeah, it was not always like so um, welcoming. People could be nice, but it was there was always a kind of a barrier. So it's not only about the language, it's other things. It has to be about interest, it has to be about your um, economical sit uh, situation. It, it has so many different uh, things. Components. Yeah, components. Yeah. It's not only the language. Yeah, I, that's something... I feel is almost a bit misleading when you share the same language with someone is yeah. that you kind of assume that you will understand each other yeah. in all possible ways because yeah. the language is such a strong tool to, to mm. access to people, you know? But, but then you come to realize that there are a lot of different layers before really kind of connecting to the person's culture. Mm. And I'm saying this because... So I'm my mom is from Canada and... Mm. So they, my family there speaks French, mm -hmm. uh, but they speak uh, French that is a bit different than the one in France. Mm -hmm. And they have kind of very different codes also, different ways of making fun of things. You know, it's yeah. very different, although it's the, the, the same language. So I was, yeah, I, I was always wondering how, how this goes with, you know, other mm -hmm. countries or even with English, like if you're, you know, born in the UK and you yeah. go to Australia, you speak the exact same language, but it's just a completely different world. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, it is. There is that aspect, but there is also another aspect. I mean, just thinking about how I come to speak French, what, what lies behind. So you have a, a, sto a history of colonization, something that is not good either. So it kind of, even though it's not actual today, but it kind of kind of puts one per, one in a position of domination and the other one in a position of 
you know, yeah. still with the language. And I think that there's some people um, who still have a little bit of a colonial complex. Okay. I mean, I remember I've had, I've heard this comment several times like, oh, you speak so good French, such good French. How come, you know? Um, and it will be like, it will be... Like, why would I not speak good French? You know what I mean? Yeah. Why, why does it have to be a surprise? Yeah. Um, and then there will be other kind of comments, perhaps not all, all, only those, but it creates a cleavage between these cultures because of the histor historical background. Yeah. Well, yeah, I feel like there is this sense of French people from continental France are the real French speaker. Yes. And outside is just francophonie, like yeah. the French speaking like an world. Language. Kind of, yeah. 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 You always grew up with French, right? Yeah. Do you consider it as a mother tongue as well, in a way, or it's very hard. I wish I could I would not consider it as a mother tongue. But then again, you know, like the school I went to, uh <laughs> I I had a course in uh, in Kirundi, but every subject were were taught in French, mm. so already, I would say that my French is better because, better than my own language, and that's that's a sad part, somehow you know, um, and that's one of the problems that it, I think is in Africa is that, it's things certain things that need to be rectified. Somehow, yeah. Well, in Burundi we have only one language, mm. so we don't. It's not mm. a dialect, uh, like in some other countries. We have only mm. one language, so it, it should make it make things easier. The <laughs> thing is, you don't even really have the choice but to learn it. Although you know, maybe you'd like to study in your own mother language. You know, when when you're at home, you know, thing it because it all depends, right? Because yeah. like. It feels exciting when you're young. Yeah. Like, oh, that's another language, you know, it feels exciting, but then you don't really understand the trade-off. What are you losing by doing that? Yeah. Um, so, I, don't, I mean, I didn't, I didn't think much of it until I moved here and uh, I make so many mistakes in my own language, you know, when I'm speaking. I'm like, oh, that's a sad part. Yeah, so you speak about five different languages, six? African, yeah, please, three, four. Yeah, four languages. Four? Yeah, four. Okay, yeah. I understand uh, Swahili, but I don't really speak it so well. Okay. So, I, like, it's some languages that I've learned, but it's not mm. really that. Uh, so, Spanish there and there. Yeah. So, just, okay. <laughs> that's why I just say yeah. four that I speak fluently. Okay, fair. So, yeah. four languages, which is... Very impressive. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. What difference does it make to speak the local language? Um, the difference that it makes is that, you know, if, for example, I'm having a conversation in Swedish, uh, despite the fact that, that I've lived here in Sweden for so long, there's still some vocabulary that I do not master because if you want to learn a language properly, it's good to start as a child because then you get the, the tools or the, or the vocabulary for different 
uh, aspects and so on. And I, I've never been really truly emerged into the language. I never studied in in Swedish, you know, uh, apart from when I was doing doing high school. But <laughs> else, uh, I've never had any university course in in Swedish. Um, when I watch the news or documentary that I watch, they're in English. So when I'm having a conversation in Swedish, it can be challenging to have um, an argument or uh, mm. discuss certain topics because I don't have the the proper tools. So I usually ask if I can switch to English. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and of course, it kind of it's frustrating. It's frustrating because you have things that you want to to say and to transmit, but you cannot truly really do it. And some people are not good in, in English, so then you need to really struggle mm-hmm. finding the right words. But, but so, yeah. yeah, I would say frustrating. Do you feel like you kind of, not switch, but maybe change personalities in a way if, if you speak, if you go from lang- one language to another? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's things that you do automatically and you don't even realize, you know, like uh, gestures, for example. Um, I know that when I'm speaking in French and Kirin, there is a lot of gestures. Like, uh, (laughs) you you don't really realize, but sometimes if if you're aware of it, you start to realize it and you start to notice. And then you see when you're like in a bus and you're talking on the phone and then suddenly your hands are all over the place. And someone is looking at you, then you realize, like, ah, okay, I'm doing something a bit odd. And perhaps even the voice, the intonation, I think you're more confident also, you know, in what you're saying. And uh, so I think it's many aspects that change when you are speaking one language that you're really comfortable with and a language that you are a bit unsure of. Yeah, it's true actually now that I think about it, I think when I'm on the phone and I speak English with someone, I'm much lower, like lower in the voice and when yeah. I'm on the phone with my parents in my room I can hear the echo <laughs> almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is home for you and have you ever felt home? I think home for me at this point is where my family is. It's not really like a place, so to speak. You know, um, I notice like when I go to uh, Uppsala, you know, I have my brother and his wife and, and their children. And when I go there, I always realize that I sleep so... Well, the bed is not very comfortable. It's, a, it's one of my nephew's <laughs> bed. But I have a very good quality sleep when I'm there. Same thing, you know, like when I go home or something, when I'm with my family. So I think home is truly like where your family is. And for me, anyway, it's not really a place. Did you feel safe? Yes, of course. You feel safe. You feel surrounded with love. Because even though I'm planning to move back to the continent, I have some apprehensions, you know, because you change, you know, uh, the places you live in change you, no matter how how hard you might fight, you, whether you like it or not, you change. And when you go back to, to the same place, you're different, people are different, and they might not understand you, you might not understand them, because you, 
you have changed so um, yeah. yeah yeah and it's it's a question that we usually ask also the experience of returning home after having lived abroad for mm -hmm. a, more or less a long time mm -hmm. and what what is your experience of return when i when i go back home i mean i haven't been home for a longer period than two months but uh, of course there's certain things that you're like oh well there's uh, constraints you know like uh, with you know like you have uh, duties that you must fill so you need to adjust, readjust somehow because here you're kind of free and you do exactly what you want and then when you go back home you know it's uh, all these things like you have ceremonies for example and you expect it to be there and that's just the way it is and since I'm not married yet um, I'm still considered like a child somehow so when they're guests I can tell you I never sit because I need to make sure that everyone has something to drink, something to eat. So you need to readjust somehow to this, uh, to the way things are done there. And uh, yeah. And since it's a small country where everyone lives with each other, it's harder to go outside of the norms. And plus you have the family to think about, you know, you don't want to shame them, you don't want to, so... Talking maybe a bit now about community and uh, you briefly mentioned the, the difficulty to feel like people from Burundi are a bit scattered all over the place and for mm -hmm. you it's, it's a bit difficult to carry this. Mm -hmm. um, how how is it for you uh, to belong to a community and do you belong to several communities? What's your view on in mm. relation to the communities? It's kind of a hard question, but because um, it's I don't think that you can just belong to a community just because you are from the same country. Uh, if you are true to yourself. And to people around you. I think you belong to the community with people that you share the same view of the world. You share the same interests and passions. So I don't forcibly think that, oh, I will just belong. Of course it is nice because whenever I meet like many Burundians, I'm happy uh, to speak the language. It's nice to have the same references. But then you realize that it's not something that you can be doing all the time unless you have some affinities mm -hmm. with these people. I've never been limited, even when I was a child, to just people who are from Burundi, firstly. I had friends from all over the world yeah. already when I was living in Burundi. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. So community is just people you have with affinities with. And uh, for me, that's, mm -hmm. that's what it means. It's not forcibly because you share the same language or you come but from the same. Do you feel like to, to reach... Uh, to this conclusion you had to live in different places although you mentioned that you had a lot of international or people from yeah. all over the world but mm -hmm. do you feel like it kind of helped in a way to live in different places to yeah feel like you don't need to just mm -hmm. connect to people from the same country absolutely yeah. absolutely because then you realize oh I don't need just my people 
I can be as happy meeting like people from Cameroon, from Nigeria, from Canada, from US. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. And the most interesting thing to see is like how how um, ridiculous certain concepts such as racism are when you see that, when you see like how uh, how people are so the same. It's just like different personality has nothing to do with uh, its personality, it's, its knowledge, it's your level of education, it's all these things that make a person. It has nothing to do with, with sure. color, origin, even religion, because people from this different places do exactly the same things. You know, and so that's that's one of the things that I find so interesting uh, when you have lived many places and met different people. Yeah, I, I think it's something we talk so much about on the podcast. We think we're so different from one culture to another, but in the end, we kind of have very similar essential aspirations, or mm-hmm. and the only difference is that we kind of make sense of the world differently mm. but we have the same world and we have we share a lot of same uh, needs and mm. I mean that's bringing us to uh, the next question and um, we were wondering how do you manage to make sense of the world navigating different narratives mm. and you know being exposed to very different norms um, mm-hmm Actually, um, you know, Burundi is a Christian country. I was born, uh, raised uh, Catholic, but then I became um, a Christian born again before I moved to Burundi and then I went away from my faith, but now I'm back. And now I'm trying to see the world throughout uh, the Bible. What does the, the Word of God say about the world we live in? And it's so interesting because that book was written so many years ago. And it's so interesting to see how relevant it still is today. So the way I make sense of the world is that I do it throughout my knowledge of the Word of God. And yeah, We had a, a guest who was from a Christian community in Syria and mm-hmm. moved to Sweden. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that when he arrived, he went to a church and that really helped him rebuild the community when you lose all of your benchmarks in a yeah. totally different context although uh, Sweden is also Christian but it's a Protestant if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. and he was from a Catholic background as mm-hmm. well and I was wondering for you from a Catholic background coming in Sweden with a Protestant background um, if it's different mm-hmm. you mean mm-hmm. um, yeah I think it's different because mm, the main difference that I would say is that um, Catholicism is like a religion, you know. It's like you go on Sunday to church and then you go home and then your days and your life go on as usual. Uh, for me, being a Christian means to know what does the Word of God say about who I am because it tells me about my identity and it tells me about who is God. And it's something, it's not, it's, a, it's like a relationship, you know. It's not something that you just speak on one day in the week and then you go on as usual. Like, it will be like a best friend, like a father, a relationship with your father, you know, like, but even closer. And when you, when you have that kind of relationship and you, 
you 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 read about what 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 the world word of God says, then it's a good um it's good lens to see the world for really what it is. Uh, yeah, so it, for me, it would be the difference. Um, in my mind, and I, I might have a very personal definition, but I feel like faith and religion aren't necessarily one same thing. Mm -hmm. And you can have faith without very really following a religion, and you can have a religion but not really have faith. Have faith. Does it make a difference for you, faith and religion? Of course. I mean, faith, we all have faith. You have faith that um, your mother, when you call her, she will be there to answer, right? You have faith that when you take the bus, it will take you where you're going to go, you know? When you take the plane, you have faith in the health system, you go and get vaccinated, you know? It's all these things. We have faith. It's uh, you can't live without faith. Otherwise, you would never take the elevator because you would think it's gonna crash. You know, <laughs> you, you see what I mean. You have to have faith. Yes, <laughs> faith is something. But then, uh, it's another question. Like to have the faith in God, in God that you don't see. Uh, so that's another question. And religion, of course, you can have religion without having faith at all. Then you have like routines. You do things, but you don't truly believe that uh, God is going to save you if you are in trouble. You don't believe that you can uh, pray for something and receive it. Yeah, so you can definitely have religion. There's, there's definitely something also that for me appeared a bit as misleading to associate um, people that have faith in a certain religion mm. as the only people that have beliefs because in the end all of us believe in a lot of different things you Absolutely. know and some of those beliefs are coined as religion and then others are coined as mm. don't know Absolutely. the market whatsoever yeah yeah, yeah. but but human I, as a human I think it's just one of our um one of the things that's at our core to have beliefs. Yeah, of course. And one thing that is good to, to be reminded of. Even of course. Even if you're not religious, you still believe in some things. Of course. If you don't believe in God, you could be believing in money. You could be believing in ecology. You could be believing in, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, veganism. You could be... It's different things. You know, if you believe in a certain lifestyle and that's the thing that has priority for you. It could be believing in, uh, I don't know, a good um, philosopher or whatever. I have a question. Like, you used the word anonymous when you were talking about your arrival in Sweden and how harsh it was for you to go through all the, the, the papers, the, uh, you mm. know, the administrative, and the, mm. you ended up having to do high school again, although you had finished it mm. anything you'd like to share from your experience with this idea of arriving in a new place and feeling anonymous mm. I, I think there is uh, something that I, I thought and actually I kind of understand uh, host country's perspective you know when I was growing up uh, when we had like foreigners coming there was always this welcoming so like foreigners that come to, but yeah, they would be welcomed, you know, and in kind of 
introduced and welcomed into the community. Uh, when I came here, it was really different because, you know, um, it was so interesting when I saw when I came to Sweden. It felt like it was an open country, a more open country than France, in a sense that it felt like you can actually do anything here. You can become anyone you want to become. So it felt like really a lot of uh, of uh, possibilities. And uh, I remember when I was going out and I would meet people. And since I'm so outgoing and outspoken, I would start to interact. Hi, blah, blah, blah. You're speaking and then you exchange numbers. And then you'd be like, oh, wow, it's so easy to make friends in Sweden, you know? And then you try to contact them afterwards. No answer. Just like, hmm? okay, when it happens the first time, you don't really question it. But then it happened over and over again. I was like, oi! So it, it was kind of special. And uh, yeah, I think it was kind of hard for me to think like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm failing as a person to make contact and friends with Swedes. And then you start to question your, uh, yourself. Am I so strange? Uh, am I... But now I'm starting to understand even more because I think that when you have certain type of views, um, that question the established belief. And when you start to question their belief, you're not very well liked. And you kind of create frictions without even knowing it. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. Um, so you kind of had a... A first impression of a, mm. sort of an open society mm. and then digging a bit deeper yeah. you felt some barriers and mm. this is something I discussed with uh, one of our friends who's uh, who we have also had on the show but mm. uh, this sort of consensual culture mm. that people need or tend to try to agree rather than disagree yes. and they try to put conflict aside Mm-hmm. And yes, find consensus and and I never thought of this as a problem when you try to integrate because yeah I don't, I don't know I, that's mm-hmm. that's new to me uh, yeah it it definitely does it uh, it because it makes people uncomfortable and you are raising it's certainly when you're raising questions that makes them uncomfortable they don't want to pronounce themselves so it becomes um, yeah. It becomes uh, problematic and... Uh, okay, so do you feel like you almost have to give up a bit on your own yeah. uh, opinions to integrate more easily? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the, that's the key word because it's different, you know, like with French culture, you, you, you argue... It's a culture of disagreement. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite. <laughs> we try to disagree even when we agree. It's crazy sometimes, and I feel like in family uh, meals and discussions, they're all yelling on each other, but they have the same, exact same opinion. I'm like, why are you arguing with each other? You're saying the same. Like, yeah, no, but I agree with you. No, it's terrible. <laughs> one, actually, one humorist, uh, Martina Rollman, who is uh, French, uh, from France and Switzerland, and she uh, was making fun of those two very different ways of... Mm-hmm. Discussing uh, in Switzerland, maybe it's a bit more similar to here where you mm. really try to avoid conflict. And in France, it's mm. really this you're on the same page, but you need to disagree, mm. and it, it makes people closer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 
just a side note, we don't aim to make big generalization about mm. Swedish society. No, yeah. We're just discussing different perspectives and exactly. experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Thinking of like uh, the perspective, like I remember, like I was at one dinner once with um, a Swedish friend of mine, and her boyfriend was Swedish, and and then there was another couple, a Swedish girl with an American, and then there was another woman who was from Iraq who came to Sweden as a refugee, also I presume. But anyway, so we're having a dinner and. Uh, then came the question, somehow, I don't know how we ended up on that topic of, of animal cruelty and, um, and how terrible it is uh, for animals and that some, something must be done. And when I was sitting there, so I, I found myself in a minority position where I was like, yeah, of course, but for me, men come first and animals come after and... Uh, and I could see that the tension started building up on that table. And they were like, yeah, but men create wars and, and do this and that. And I was like, depends. Because you're saying that from the perspective of a Swedish person here in Sweden. But tell that to a child who, whose mistake was to be born in Congo, a country that has a lot of resources and everyone wants those resources. And therefore there is a war. So... I could see that there was this, uh, even though we, we were friends, but still there is a limit of what I, how much compassion I can have because of the background that I have towards certain situations. And those who are not exposed to that would not understand. understand. And the funny part was that the Iraqi girl was on their side throughout this conversation. But the next day when we met, she told me that she agrees with me, but she has learned to shut up and just agree with the mass and then have your own opinion. So it's like kind of a chameleon. So I was like, oh, but I can't play that game. That's not me. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it was... <laughs> Back to the consensus yeah. thing. Exactly. Okay. okay, I have one more question on identity. Um, do you ever feel like it's a struggle maybe to, to deal with some assigned identities with um, the identities you've chosen for yourself? Do you feel maybe sometimes you're reminded of some identities that were assigned to you? Or do you feel like that's not really a question and you just you're just who you decided to be and the rest doesn't matter. I think it matters still because, you know, the places you live in, they give you an identity. People would see you and from what they see, they give you an identity. Your school teachers have given you an identity according to how you behaved, you know. All these things, you know, like it's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's things that you pick along the way and then your love relationships also they assign you a certain kind of identity and uh, uh, but then the world gives you an identity also you give yourself an identity according to your experiences in life your successes your failure it gives you it tells you kind of who you are but it's not really true mm. it's not really who you are and the only person who can tell you who you are is the one who created you
that's why it's important for me at the moment to learn who God says I am. So, yeah. But it's interesting, you know, like I uh, said, it's uh, different people and dif depending on where you're coming from, because all of those things define who you are and define what you understand. And what uh, you carry with you. As yeah. And what you care about and what you don't care about. Because I think like it's, I can relate to a person who's a refugee. I've been through that. If you haven't been through that, you would not really understand. I come from a country that has had war. So I can relate to that, to a person who, who's, who's been, in, who's from a country that went through a similar situation. Yeah. And then some people who have suffered even more, would re I wouldn't be able to relate to them either because I might not have gone through the same thing. So it's, it's, it depends on what you've been through yourself. So what does this, what's your takeaway when you're confronted to those situations where you feel like you, you fall short understanding the other? What mm -hmm. attitude do you try to adopt? <sighs> I try to adopt <laughs> uh, a compassionate uh, yeah I try to adopt a compassionate situation or, or attitude problem yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I was thinking more in terms of like in the podcast we had a few guests where you know they talk about some things we have no idea where like it's impossible for us to relate in any way because we've not been through the same things at all mm -hmm. uh, so it's more in, in that way, like, it's a personal uh, question that I have to myself. What attitude to adopt? Mm -hmm. when, when, Such as what? I mean, you know, some, some people that have experienced conflicts in their countries and talk mm -hmm. about it, talk about the horror, or just talk about the, what it, how it marks you and how, how you deal with it um, afterwards and... Mm just talk about this experience and we fell short even bouncing on their experience we couldn't ask questions we couldn't mm. you know we couldn't jump in the conversation because we had absolutely no common bounce to to this experience and yeah mm. so it's i mean yeah and then one of our guests also mentioned that too much compassion is disturbing and you don't want to be put in a position where you you feel like even if it's not pity where mm. where it could come across as pity when people are like too nice to you and so yes I mean it's just we're learning to speak with very different people and it's really mm. questioning and how to yeah what attitude to adopt depending on one narrative to the other and yeah I mean definitely like um this idea of co compassion is not to say that, oh, I understand. It can be like, I can imagine what it's like and I think it's okay to feel that way. Yeah. You can relate how. You can be like, if it's someone who lost perhaps a parent or someone and you're like, oh my God, I, I, can, under I can understand a little bit because I've lost a loved one. Mm. So you kind of can relate still somehow. Mm. Perhaps not at the highest level, but as just human beings, you know, like mm. relating to perhaps kind of a, someone else's pain or, yeah. or, or something like that. Um, mm. But I think you really, 
put the finger on the distinction between understanding and having compassion. Mm. And that personally, I think it's something that I've been understanding more and more is that we have to accept that we cannot always understand. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean we cannot have compassion. Precisely. Because we don't have to understand to have compassion. Yeah. Whereas before I thought I was afraid to not have compassion if I was not able to understand. Mm-hmm. But it's not possible to understand everyone because I yeah. think it's even hindering to, to continue to, to keep on trying understanding sometimes. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it, it, it's so true because even if you go through the same experience, depending on how you are as a person, depending on perhaps you you've already had so many hits in your life, you know, and someone who just went through the same thing but has had an easier life, these two people will react totally different to the same thing. So to understand someone is is very hard because it's almost impossible because we are different as human beings. Everyone have their own personality, they have their own background, and all these things make you react towards a situation in a certain way. So you can never really fully understand someone else. The only thing that you can do is to to feel compassion. And if you have that ability, then you are very lucky, because it means you have a heart, and it's it's just amazing. <laughs> that's that's all you can do, I think. Well, thank you. Thank you too. Thank you for having me here. So great. In this wonderful studio. Uh, yes. <laughs> Taking in students' accommodation. <laughs>